Welcome to Because You Need to Know. I'm Edwin K. Morse, President and Founder of Pioneer Knowledge Services. This series is your digital resource of valuable conversations with nonprofit and knowledge management enthusiasts from across industries and from around the globe. Ali Alaj is a dedicated husband and proud dad of three amazing kids. Ali has over 20 years of experience leading technology companies from tech-focused problem solving to the creation of consumer and business applications and platforms. Ali is great at taking what a small, specialized group understands and communicating that to the mass market. Ali serves as the CEO for Blue Steel Cybersecurity. What's the world of the digital world looking like as far as issues? And by issues, I mean threats. Uh, we only have a short period of time, so uh, <laughs> that list is long. But, you know, I would say optimistically, um, it's long because we have such a reliance on digital. Um, yes. We depend on digital for a lot of business operations, a lot of things that sort of make the wheel turn. But, you know, if you have more real estate, you have more opportunity for you know, challenges and challenges don't necessarily need to be threats as far as any sort of external mm. individuals trying to steal information. It could also be, you know, reliability of system. Mm. I've done IT for so long. It used to be where you had to figure out how to do integration well and get that reliable to support a business function. Well, now we're adding to the fire pit of, you know, someone else can jump right in and take what you have. That just leads into this whole recent development that's been in the news about Pegasus in this for hire uh, infiltration of spyware, of malware. Yeah. Uh, what's your vision of the future? Are we going to have to always be locked down? You know, the old days of bank robbers, yeah. right? So the bank robbers used to go to the banks because, funny enough, that's where they yeah. keep the money. <laughs> How, how do we ever get to a safe environment? You know, that's a, it's a good question. The, the answer is always going to be never, because whenever you have something of value, it's always going to be, you know, something of a target, right? You know, the other thing, and kind of bringing it to when we're talking about cyber threats, there is a business model that's attached to it. I mean, that's really the plain and simple thing here. If there wasn't a business model attached to it, would we see as much uh, attacks or situations like we've been experiencing, you know, I would probably say not as much, right? But because there's a business model and there's because there's so many other aspects to it where there's a return on investment, you know, that has its its ecosystem of ramping up startups, of yeah. getting people their experience in order to go higher profile. It's just it's a nature of the beast there, right? Profitability, right? It's just profitable. Crime pays. Right. I get it. I yeah. get it. So is that why you got into this and this starting this company? Tell me of the why you're where you are. I've had other businesses before. You know, my last business was in data analytics. We were so busy on trying to figure out how to monetize data. Where is the return on investment on data? You know, that led to this sort of gold rush on how much data can an organization really capture? And it, and for all different purposes, you know, good and bad. But I think one of the areas that was always sort of the back or the side conversation or the one that didn't necessarily get as much attention is that, you know, think about in terms of Scrooge McDuck. I have three kids. They're all young. So my life is cartoons and, and sunshine and roses, right? I hate to tell you, <laughs> I still watch cartoons. Yeah. 
So everyone knows Scrooge McDuck and his money bin. You know, you're throwing money, basically, that's your data into this big money bin. You know, ultimately, no one thought about, well, who has access to that? How do we monitor access to that? What happens if that information gets into a situation where, you know, like we collect too much sensitive information? Are we liable? Those conversations weren't happening. It was too much in the terms of focus of how do we make our money first, and then we'll pay the consequences later. And I think, you know, after a while, that sort of deteriorated me as far as my my drive, my passion, because, you know, I felt that the type of data that was being acquired is really sensitive data, and it had to be more important than protecting it. And I didn't feel like, not to say there are not a ton of security firms out there, but, you know, I think my perspective of, of where I was before my experience would lend itself to an alternative viewpoint on how to really address this problem. And I think that's really what drove me is that why um, of, you know, coming to the table with something alternative. Well, isn't that marketplace kind of full cybersecurity, yeah. kind of a full plate at, at this point? It is, you know, and I think it because it's the market is still, it's, I don't want to say it's new. It's just trying to define how to address the challenge, right? Sure. I think the mistake that I've seen in this industry, just as a newcomer, is that there isn't a singular solution to solve the problem. The digital landscape, as I mentioned before, is vast and it's growing. The landscape is growing. There's a lot more real estate here, right? And so it's impossible to say that every any tool has an or service has a, a one-size-fits-all solution, right? Well, yeah, let alone a solution because the 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 landscape of what is is constantly shifting. Yeah. I mean, you look at Bitcoin and the idea of cryptocurrencies 10, 20 years ago, was that even a thing? You know, so <laughs> what's 20 years from now? Yeah. And I would tell you too that the the other side that I, I think is tough and is the human element of adoption to this. You know, we're talking about technology and it's kind of easy to say, let me buy a piece of software and address this problem, or let me put this technical solution here. But the majority of the statistics point towards human error. We're combating the enemy in this case, when we're talking about hackers, are humans, right? And they're just leveraging technology in order to find an end result here, right? And I think that's the other part that I felt was a, an important piece that potentially is overlooked is the human element of adoption. And how do you in incorporate a program that takes both factors, not only the technology, but the human side into consideration and coming up with a solution to solve the problem. Well, it sounds like you're in a ever-shifting world that will have to absolutely be dependent upon how fast you can respond to whatever the current or future threats are. How do you future-proof yourself? You know, the buzzword I'll throw out there, this is where AI machine learning come into play. I think just like how we were thinking about data acquisition when it came to like the retail marketing side or, or, or ways of trying to understand your customer, I think you can still take that model and try to understand the ecosystem of the organization you're trying to protect. And if we take the information, both technically and uh, on a human level, and really try to figure out how to take that information and assess it and come up with ways of predicting our outcomes, right? I know that's a Terminator endpoint or storyline, right? But right, right. ultimately, there's technologies there. We, sh we should leverage it to figure out ways of finding variability, ways that we can improve. It's a constant thing. Now, one of the future things that uh, we've kind of conversed about is that the idea, and I've heard this term probably eight years ago, the idea of wetware. And I know there's a couple industries that are really shooting for integration of the human 
capacity, the neural network, to be able to interface with the new idea of a user interface to a computer system is to have it integrated into the human framework. So that is even more scary because, you know, when my computer gets, uh, and that's the dog. Hi, dog. Hi. The dog loves being on his show. When a computer is at a vulnerable point, that's still an external thing. You know, it's an, it's, but when you're talking about a way to infiltrate my own thoughts, my own neural network, that is bizarro. So what, how do you going to protect that? Yeah, it's such a big landscape, new landscape. It is scary to think that if we're not able to protect external devices, imagine bringing it internal, right? And yes, you can. We can look at this in a in a way of what if scenarios and sort of doomsday approaches. But we have to remember the benefits of something like this, right? To keep in mind, this is a complex landscape. It's not simple, and there's going to be rollouts of it. But you know, we're starting to see that iWatch and I, IoT devices and those sorts of things are starting to be sort of that bridge into what that world could be. Um, how do we protect it? I guess, you know, it comes down to how well we protect our external devices today and how well do we protect the personal devices? Right. Right. All plays a factor. So it's going to be a constant game of catch up. Always. I mean, it's always difficult to be in a defensive position when you're in an offensive position, you're spending more time finding weaknesses where in defense, it's a different story, a little bit more of an uphill battle. However, you know, I think there's going to be a convergence of uh, technology uh, innovation that's going to allow us to even the playing field. Uh, I would argue to say that there are some ways, depending on the use case, that you can do that. But it's just going to be a slow rollout just because of the complexity of the field. And it's something that we cannot go back from. I mean, it's just it's that water has left the building. So we are in a constant game of competing with the threat. Uh, so I want to talk about an Amazon show that I've recently enjoyed watching called The Feed. Have you seen The Feed? I have not seen The Feed. Oh my goodness. You talk about <laughs> you talk about the future. Really, it's not that far away. So when you think about the integration of, let's take a step back. Let's talk about augmented reality and virtual reality. And the idea of the virtual reality is that we are immersed into an environment. Augmented reality is a conversion of both digital and physical the idea of the feed is is that you're internally connected so you no more mm -hmm. cell phones no more yeah. you know you can just think things and boom they connect and you make calls and so that's the whole premise of this this technology is existing in this show but it ends in a really sad way i understand what you're saying that the doomsday uh, type of effect of any new technology is always you know, you got the laggards that are against any kind of change and innovation and progress because you're changing how things are or were. Uh, and your line of work, you're riding two different ponies at the same time because you have to, one, be in this current current situation and, one, hedging your bets on where the next threat's coming from. So that business intelligence is going to be a way of trying to stay not just relevant yeah. but yeah. effective yeah it's, i mean it's exactly right i think you know kind of stepping it back i i feel the biggest challenge right now right when as you're you know getting into the, the sophistication of tech and uh, augmented reality virtual reality all sorts of different ways of not only having access to open vulnerabilities to sensitive information but 
you know, what are sort of the remnant effects of, we have a problem with social media grabbing too much of our data. Imagine, you know, the being immersed into the technology, right? But I think we have a, I guess a more, I don't want to say call it a simple or a clear cut challenge today that we're not addressing, that it will play a factor in this. And I, again, it comes back down to the human element. We could have all the control mechanisms in technology. Technology can be our safeguard. It could do a lot of things to protect us. But we still have free will in this equation. Free will without sort of defined boundaries or rule sets will run uh, wreak havoc against any program that you want to even think about, regardless of security, just technology in in general. And you talk to any CTO, CIO, that's the biggest thing. If it's the technology, it's workflows and adopting workflows. When it comes to security, people just violating policies all left and right, right? <laughs> the conscious or unconscious violation or unsecure methods that people engage in is constantly going to be an issue. And to have those safeguards against that probability, high probability of that being the weakest link in your security is probably something you can gauge and at least get HR on board with trying to steer all these folks to apply what needs to be applied. But you know, when you're, when you're talking spyware, there's no protection against that. No. And you know, I think, and when you're talking, you mentioned something in terms of like HR, you know, one of the things that, uh, at least in my experience, working with a ton of these organizations that, you know, roughly are, you know, a couple hundred people, let's just say you have an organization with a couple hundred people, you know, another area where, again, the human element comes into play, and, and this is like around BYOD. You know, some companies as a recruiting mechanism are sponsoring technology purchases or getting individuals. That Can you explain your BYOD? Oh, bring your own device. Thank you. Yeah. So this is uh, cell phone purchases. So if, if I were to make a new hire, I would want to buy a cell phone for uh, the incoming staff member or possibly a, a MacBook or a PC. Without any sort of level of boundary or program, uh, sometimes that could be limiting to the end user. End user won't appreciate that. And so it's tough if you have an existing program like that to go back and say, hey, we're going to have to lock down your piece of equipment. And not everyone's really into that. (laughs) Think about that instance where you're talking about bring your own device and some companies are dead set against that because they want a company owned machine in the hands of the employee and expect with expectation of 24 seven access. The, the thing is that, that it gains that level of protection because now it is controlled to some degree by the administrator of the company hardware software outfit. So, but who the heck wants to carry two to three to four cell phones around, you know, as an individual right. that, that ends up being the problem also. Uh, before we end up here, I want to ask you one thing. Yeah. Well, two things. Who is your target market in this new venture you've got going on? Who are you going after? It's an organization size. It's roughly, you know, 50 to 250 uh, person or size organization. We typically work with DevOps organizations. And those are really ones that are, their business is to build and uh, service technology for others. And and industry-wise right now, we work with a lot of DOD contractors, but we also have uh, organizations that fall in the financial sector and healthcare. And um, we also take on some nonprofits that need the help and are really looking for the help and don't necessarily have the same size budget. Um, I'm a big fan of helping and making sure that we do what we can to lock these pieces of information technology down. I, I think, you know, ultimately... 
those are the size organizations that are typically at the point where they realize they don't really have a program and they need to figure something out, or they have something where they feel like they have a, a well-defined program, they're losing handle on it. They don't have control over it and they don't know where to take it. Typically, I like working with those organizations because you're not really trying to, I guess, make the path into the direction of a resolution, like say security training awareness. Typically, they'll have something in place. We're just trying to make it define better and get them to a level yeah. of best practice. So you're, you're basically a bridge maker to, to help those folks that are already on the journey get there quicker, faster, and, and yep. in a more efficient way. Okay. Correct. So what's the yeah. future of the operating system of Windows 11, which is saying that they will virtualize your system? So it's not just a virtual application where you're using a system. They're basically saying, hey, get rid of your PC, get rid of all this vulnerability, and we'll just host everything for you. Is that going to yeah. be, a, is that where the shift is going to go? And I, I, I say that because they've already led the band in a couple of different ways. And once, I'll, yeah. you know, Office 365, good, you know, anything to do with SharePoint, anything to do all that stuff that used to be hardware, software, personnel on site is now off site. Does yeah. that make it easier to protect? You know, it's a good question because a lot of times when you're dealing with really sensitive data, this, the solution is go virtual, have no memory devices. It's, remove the vulnerability is that you're removing the device that has memory that can hold the sensitive information. What that translates to is you're just using like a terminal, right? And you're relying on your internet connection to gain access to what was your PC or your, or your environment somewhere else few things here, right? One is Microsoft is leading the way on security and compliance, uh, especially when you're talking about buzzwords like CMMC, if people have heard of it, or ISO standards, security standards. Microsoft is doing a lot in this area, so it doesn't surprise me, right? But what I've noticed is that we also have to look at the statistics of accessibility in terms of internet. Bandwidth will become a massive problem. And it's sort of like how right. you know electric cars are bring, coming to market, the strain that they're putting on the power grid. Same thing. It's being able, you could have this, and yes, it is secure, but what does the workflow look like? And I, t I would tell you that we've tried implementations of that, and the frustration is what? Lack of internet, power goes down, or something else occurs, you can't do offline work. Yeah, I hear you on the bandwidth. That has got to be a challenge. I like the idea. So what you're saying is, is that if we get to the virtualized system, not just an app, but a system, an operating system, one, that's accessible everywhere, mm -hmm. right? So it's not just on my desktop. It's not on my, you know, so I like that idea. But would it just be as simple as a, a VPN getting you there? I feel like it's going to be a game changer in the sense of how productivity happens, how security is rolled up, because you can essentially, you're spending a couple hundred dollars now on end devices, whereas you were spending maybe a thousand dollars. You have complete control of the environment. Again, I feel like it's going to be a game changer. It's if you're going to have onboarding, offboarding, you have control. Some, your end user management is a lot more consolidated, more focused. It doesn't mean that you can still protect against people that want to go off reservation, but the organization itself has a lot of greater control. But again, I don't know, you know, what the feasibility will be, especially when it comes to mobile um, environments. We're still used to working with laptops, I think, or your mobile phone. You know, how is that virtualized environment going to play into that factor? And what does that look like? 
will be interesting. I don't think we're far off. That. Last thing I'll ask is, where do you find how governments and or punitive um, measures as far as criminal activity? Let's just go back to the criminal activity. So not long mm -hmm. ago, you as individuals in the U.S., you had protection against anybody eavesdropping on your telephone. Right. So let's go back 80 years yeah. where that was a thing. And you had protections <laughs> against that as a as a citizen of the United States. Why not arm the individuals out there with more protection? And I know this is a corporate sell, right, because a lot of this data has already been bought and sold without our consent. But is there something that could help curb this? Uh, avalanche of criminal activity if we were to empower more criminal punishment for this activity? You know, that's a, it's an interesting question. My belief is, is that you either spend more money on enforcement policing and trying to chase down the person that's actually committing crime, or you start thinking in terms of what can the individual do themselves? Coming from data, I'm a big statistics person, right? Most of these occurrences happen to individuals that don't employ the basic principles of cyber hygiene, like antivirus, malware protection, things that you can buy off the shelf that you can do, two-factor authentication. Now, how do you protect yourself, let's say, like the, the credit service providers, right? The credit providers like uh, Experian or some of these other organizations, if they have your personal information getting hacked, but quite honestly, there's nothing you can do about that. The way the government is going to step in and it's starting to happen where service providers servicing government contracts, this self-assessment saying, hey, I'm good, don't worry about us, is, is going out the window. The government is now requiring third-party assessments to validate whether or not the, the organization is, in fact, secure. I feel, and this is around CMMC, I feel that these principles are going to go across the board. Experience is going to have to be held accountable for it. Organizations are going to be, have to be held accountable way to do that is not necessarily after the fact, it's before the fact, getting assessments, uh, making sure it's third party independent, ultimately where we have to be. And I don't know how far back this was, maybe 12 years ago now, yeah. when the Office of Personnel Management got hacked and all that data got pushed out and it was knee deep. I mean, it was like, oh my gosh, if anyone doesn't know, Office of Personnel Management handles a lot of the background checks and security checks mm -hmm. for individuals coming into Department of Defense. And oh my gosh, that was huge. And it's yeah. like, oh my God, if they can break that bank, uh, anything goes. And the government is realizing this. And I think it comes down to it. There has to be a measure. And you know, the, the tough part about this is it's an additional investment of time and money. But sort of like um, it was the honor system before it took a few to ruin it. And then now we're all, nah. <laughs> yeah, pay the price. yeah, right. <laughs> all right. Well, last question. Do you know what knowledge management is? I do. I hope I do. Oh, let's hear it. I relate knowledge management to a role, which is I, I've always related to a CIO. And it's essentially uh, the ability to manage, protect, and define accessibility to the information that is available to the organization and to the staff members that have to gain access to it. That's my rough definition of so it. So you're seeing it more yeah. as a gatekeeper. I am. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, of course. <laughs> you have the security hat yeah. on. Everything's a gatekeeper, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you very much for a very lively discussion. Uh, I wish you all great success in your endeavors, and please let us know what's happening. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. 
Because You Need to Know is designed to bring people's experience and their knowledge forward to be shared. I'm Edwin K. Morris, and I thank you for joining in to listen to another conversation brought to you as a public service of Pioneer Knowledge Services, a nonprofit tax exempt organization with a charitable knowledge management purpose. Find us online at pioneer ks.org and add your voice to the conversation on Facebook. <laughs>